This is the Sleeper Hold Podcast. Welcome to episode 4 of the Sleeper Hold Podcast, where there is no disqualification on the topics and falls count anywhere. I am your host, Priest, and Sunday we had a great pay-per-view with WWE's Payback. Things may not have gone completely as I predicted or hoped, but it still turned out pretty neat, and now I'm looking forward to the Elimination Chamber in two weeks and Money in the Bank in four weeks. Now we are going to continue with part 4 of our series, The Eras. Last episode, we talked about the Paul Heyman era of extreme championship wrestling and when WCW introduced the NWO and the rest of the Eric Bischoff reign. Today, we'll touch on three more important parts of the eras of television wrestling. So let's get this started off. We'll look back into Vince McMahon's company and how they reacted to the Monday Night Wars with WCW. So without further ado... We'll open up with the Attitude Era of WWF. Last time we visited Vince McMahon Jr., we witnessed the famous Montreal Screwjob and Vince making a declaration on air about the company changing direction. This was the official start of his Attitude Era, although it is debatable that it happened even earlier than this. Vince saw the powerful NWO changed the momentum in favor of World Championship Wrestling. What was he going to do to counter that? He allowed for two of his young stars to build a new stable that would win over the fans more than Vince would ever imagine. Shawn Michaels and Triple H would be the founding fathers of D-Generation X. With China at their side, these three played the role of the rebels and troublemakers of the WWF. Eventually, they would add to their ranks Billy Gunn and Road Dog, also called the New Age Outlaws, and X-Pac, who had formerly been called the 123 Kid and even was called Sticks with NWO. This stable became an instant hit for the company as they initially went against the anti-America Pro-Canada Heart Foundation. Later on, D-Generation X would focus their attention on making Vince's life as miserable as they possibly could, while also being a thorn to anyone else's side that they did not care for. It has been reported on some documentaries that at several occasions, Shawn Michaels or Triple H would suggest an idea to Vince McMahon, only to be told, well, you can't do that on TV. Well, they did it anyway. It helped keep the company afloat, while also making Vince later on thank them for being that rebellious and outrageous. One of the most famous moments of the early years of DX was when they had boxing celebrity Mike Tyson appear as their newest member and set their sights on taking out Stone Cold Steve Austin. It built up to a major battle on WrestleMania 14, where Shawn Michaels was to take on Steve Austin with Tyson as the enforcer at ringside. At the end of the match, Tyson would slide into the ring and give the quick three count in favor of Stone Cold Steve Austin, 
earning him the WWF Championship. When confronted, Tyson delivered a knockout punch to Shawn Michaels, making it clear he was on Austin's side all along. The Attitude Era displayed many of the more frequently known superstars of today's adult venues. Steve Austin, the members of DX, the APA, Hardy Boys, Dudleys, Edge, Christian, Mankind, Kane, and the most electrifying man of sports entertainment, The Rock. Granted, some of these superstars were around before the Attitude Era, and some of the other greats aren't mentioned here, but this was probably one of the times that the WWF had one of their strongest rosters. It was also when TLC, Tables, Ladders, and Chairs, matches were really introduced, and the Tag Team Championship was highly promoted. It was almost as desired as the WWF Heavyweight Championship. There were so many unique storylines during this time that helped catapult the company in many directions. For starters, Vince McMahon would capitalize on the hatred of the Montreal Screwjob and play as a visible key heel in the whole company. This would allow help to build up so much hype with the trash-talking, beer-drinking, downright meanest SOB Steve Austin playing as the most hated person by Vince McMahon. Steve wouldn't obey authority and would play by his own rules. He had no allegiance to anyone except for himself. One of my favorite stables during the Attitude Era was when The Undertaker built his own stable known as The Ministry. They were a dark and dominant force that continued to grow and only had Vince's own team, known as The Corporation, to stand against them. The two would eventually merge into a fierce stable called The Corporate Ministry. There was also so many great wrestlers involved in this stable, as there was also some of people who were just flat-out creepy. I mean, look at Midian. Another great rivalry that came from these stables was D-Generation X versus the Nation of Domination, with a rock as their leader for Nation Domination. One of the best moments of Raw during this era, if you ask me, was when Mankind decided to give a tribute to his tag team partner of the Rock and Sock connection, The Rock. The tribute was done in a way that was very much like the classic television show, This Is Your Life. Mankind brought back various people of The Rock's past, all with good intentions, but was actually embarrassing The Rock until he made it all stop. There was also the famous sabotage story of Triple H taking away a drugged Stephanie McMahon and getting married at a drive through wedding chapel like the ones you see in Las Vegas, which would soon come to full circle as Stephanie became a huge asset to Triple H at ringside. Talking more about great moments of the Attitude Era, Attitude Era was also the home era for the dreaded Hell in a Cell to be born. Although many people remember the bloody and what should have been fatal match of Mankind versus The Undertaker, the actual first Hell in a Cell was Shawn Michaels against The Phenom. Steel cage matches were the norm, but now the cage was around the ring and had a cover over the top, allowing no escape whatsoever. Or at least that was the concept. As far as I can remember, there has never been a single Hell in a Cell match where the steel hasn't enjoyed the taste of blood being shed. It was also during this era that the World Wrestling Federation 
would have its name officially changed to the World Wrestling Entertainment, or WWE. This occurred in 2002 when the World Wildlife Foundation had gone to court against the WWE for the simple lettering brand and acronym WWF. Also during this time, WWE would debut their Thursday show called SmackDown in competition with WCW's show called Thunder. We also had great WrestleMania matches during this era, such as the street fight between Shane McMahon and Vince McMahon. There was also the Fatal 4 match with a McMahon to assist at each corner. But I think the more shocking one was during WrestleMania 17, where The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin faced off for the WWE Heavyweight Championship in a no-disqualification match. Vince McMahon actually helped Steve Austin win the match, and we saw an unexpected alliance of Steve Austin with Vince McMahon. Here at the Sleeper Hold Podcast, we strongly believe in helping others. Therefore, we have decided to feature a charity every quarter that we are supporting and invite you to support as well. Following his induction into this year's WWE Hall of Fame, we have decided to make our first charity, Connor's Cure. Head on over to our website at thesleeperhold.com and click on Connor's Cure on the right side of the page for more information. We got a taste of the Attitude Era which would end up standing firm after such a struggle in the Monday Night Wars and helped catapult the WWE into victory. But while this was going on, there was still one more chapter for Turner's World Championship Wrestling. The company was starting to spiral out of control as Turner began to cut funds and pull away from Bischoff. But WCW was still going to try and fight its way through the struggle. In 1991, WCW had found Vince Russo and Ed Ferreira Two men who claimed they were responsible for WWE's Attitude Era. This began what has now been known as WCW's Russo Era. Russo and Ferrer made their focus to be on the newer and younger talents, aiming to phase out the older talents like Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. They wanted to make their focus be on fresh talent, like how the WWE had begun to do with the Attitude Era. Likewise, they knew the success of the NWO and tried to revive it with Jeff Jarrett and Bret Hart. However, Bret would suffer a career-ending concussion when he went up against Goldberg. What really made it as a catalyst to ending Bret's career, in my opinion, was that he did suffer a stroke. Along this time, Kevin Sullivan became a lead booker for the company. In an attempt to appease the fans, Sullivan booked for Chris Benoit to win the WCW Championship at the Sold Out pay-per-view. What makes this even more interesting is a little-known fact about the tension and, for lack of a better phrase, hatred between Sullivan and Benoit. Sullivan's wife, Nancy, had left him previously to be with Chris Benoit, so you can imagine that the relationship between them was not one of the better ones out there in the back. In fact... There are some theories that still tie between these two, but we will be getting to that in another day. Benoit would win the title, but immediately handed it back to the referee and vacated the title. The following day, he would leave to join Vince McMahon's company with Perry Saturn, Eddie Guerrero, and Dean Malenko to become a stable known as the Radicals. By 2000, WCW had received their second lowest television rating of 1.8 only to have the lower rating be 1.72, which was also the lowest rating ever in the Monday Night Wars. 
This caused Bischoff to be reinstated to work with Rousseau. The two would create a new faction to promote the younger talent known as the New Blood. They were to stand up against the older, more paid talents who were listed under the Millionaire's Club, in reference to Millionaire Ted. This story had so much potential, but it appeared to end up falling apart. The New Blood was portrayed as the heels of the story, making this almost seem like Bischoff's attempt to rehash the NWO storyline. Personally, if you ask me, if the roles were reversed and the New Blood was seen as the faces, it may have been a lot more successful. Unfortunately, the storyline was scrapped even before the New Blood Rising pay-per-view would even have a chance to be launched. WCW would then be part of launching a box office film called Ready to Rumble. This film flopped hard, but you know, for me, I actually kind of enjoyed it. Then again, I'm also the person who likes the horrible and B-rated movies when I just want to be entertained sometimes. I mean, I even like Super Mario Brothers, even though it damaged Nintendo greatly and it was just so very bad. Still, WCW would promote their film by having the three-tiered cage match in one of their pay-per-views with Jeff Jarrett, Diamond Dallas Page, and the movie's star, David Arquette, to compete for the championship title. David Arquette was completely against winning the title, and he was very right for doing so. Having him win the title made many of the fans feel like the company was turning into nothing but a joke. Goldberg would turn heel, yet the transition was so sloppy, and even Jarrett would try to shoot a promo against Hulk Hogan at Bash of the Beach, that only ended up with a lawsuit from Hogan against WCW for defamation of character. This would eventually be dropped. By 2001, the majority of the female talent was released from WCW in an attempt to cut costs, and WCW would hold its events only in the southern states. Now, what isn't commonly known is that in 1996, Time Warner had bought out Ted Turner's beloved empire. If it wasn't for Turner having majority of the share at the time for being faithful to WCW as well, it may have been what caused the doors to close so much earlier than when they did. Warner did not care for WCW, let alone the fact that it had been steadily losing the company money for years between 96 and 2000. By 2000, though, AOL merged with Time Warner, and they finally forced Ted Turner out of his illustrious empire. And in 2001, WCW was set to close its doors and be put on sale. Although there were investors in mind, the realization that the company no longer would have a slot in television made a lot of them back off, including Bischoff. Then, on March 23, 2011, the assets, video library, and 24 contracts were sold to Vincent Kennedy McMahon. March 26, 2001 was the last episode of Monday Nitro. The stars and commentators were set to give their farewells to their fans, with the main event being a rematch of what started it all, Sting vs. Ric Flair. Vince McMahon aired a simulcast between the companies as he prepared to give a speech about his official victory in the Monday Night Wars. When Vince appeared in the middle of the ring on Raw to announce that the papers would officially be signed at the following WrestleMania, he was interrupted by his son Shane McMahon, who was located at Nitro's final show in Panama City Beach, Florida. 
Shane explained to his father that the papers were already signed and they did indeed have the name McMahon on the contract. The name, though, was Shane McMahon as the official owner of World Championship Wrestling. This set up for what could have been and should have been an epic storyline of having the war continue, but this time complete on Vince's home turf. Instead, we would see a small war and a merge of the companies in the near future. But that's for the next episode. Just a quick note for all of you in the Springfield, Illinois area. Pinfall Wrestling Association has their biggest show of the year coming up on May 30th called the Grand Wrestling Spectacle. Let me tell you, there are a ton of great matches set up and I can't wait to see what happens. Also, PWA is about to have Pinfall Academy's summer program starting on June 1st. It's a 12-week course where you are training with head trainer Guy Smith, who has over 12 years of experience under his belt and was trained by the legendary Harley Race. If you want to know more, you will have to call 217-679-6401 and ask for Tim Givens, or check out their page on Facebook. Don't forget to tell them that Sleeper Hole Podcast sent you. And just a little teaser for all you fans. Sleeper Hole Podcast is working with PWA to bring y'all something extra special with the Academy. But you'll have to stay tuned for next episode to find out more. Now that we have entered the 2001 timeline, it is only appropriate that I also mention one other company that should be given some respect for arriving and lasting throughout the years, even to today. This last topic we are going to grapple with is the company known as Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor began April 2001 and hosted its first event on February 23, 2002, titled The Era of Honor Begins. Throughout its promotion, the company laid down their foundation with some ground rules known as the Code of Honor. These rules were simple but also helped clearly define the faces from the heels. They were simply shake hands before and after every match, no interference, no sneak attacks, no harming officials, and any acts that result in disqualification violates the Code of Honor. Eventually the rules would be revised as having only three rules. The shaking of hands, not harming officials, and a new rule of keeping it on a level playing field. Now, I haven't been a viewer of the Ring of Honor except catching glimpses of it here and there once in a while for just a few minutes, but I will say this. They started officially with a show in 2002. It is now 2015. That is 13 years of surviving against the big dog, WWE. I may have to try and catch them on YouTube or on TV if I find out where to look, but as it stands, I tip my fedora to them for being around this long and being strong. Well, guys, that wraps up our show for this time. Do remember to check out our website, www.thesleeperhole.com, where you can comment on any of our blog posts. And do watch out because we will have ones that we are looking for your feedback, just like the one that was posted on Monday. Also, check out our Facebook page because we'll always have things posted there. And feel free to leave some questions. I am always happy to answer any of them, no matter how goofy they are when it comes to wrestling. See you guys in two weeks with the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Sleeper Hold Podcast. Don't forget to visit our website at thesleeperhold.com to comment on episodes, read our blog, for information about the quarterly charity, and more. See you in two weeks.